0: Amen, amen. Thank you, worship team, again, for leading us this morning. Uh, Good morning again, everyone. Uh, For those of you who may not know, my name is Derek, and I am the pastor of family and discipleship here at Fellowship of Grace. And and I'm excited to uh, bring the message this morning. Really, I kind of want to, you know, in the middle of this busy Christmas season, a lot of distractions, a lot of things going on. I know your minds are just kind of cluttered, maybe a little disoriented with all the different things going on. You got company parties and kids' presents and family traveling, all these sorts of things. But for just a few minutes this morning, I'm, I'm hoping we can kind of focus in and, and really on, on a pretty simple, simple question I, I want to ask. And, and the question is this, is who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Who, who is this man that, that we've sung about for the last few minutes, that we've talked about, you know, it, I think that's probably, if not the, one of the most important questions that you can really ask yourself, that we can ask ourselves. When you look at, really, world religions all across the world, um, the one religious figure that all of them have to take into account for and, and say something about, really, is this man Jesus. You know, even, even in the, the Islam religion, Buddhism, Hinduism, the New Age, you, you name it, they all have Jesus, as part of their religion they have to they have to they feel compelled to feel the need to say something about him obviously they say some different things than Christianity does and than what the Bible says but it is interesting to me when I was kind of looking at that this week a little bit more um, that all that all of these I think it's just interesting that there's something very very special about this man Jesus that that really causes every world religion, all these religious leaders over over the last thousands of years, um, all of them uh, have to deal deal with who who Jesus is and I think that's what we want to want to talk about a little bit today as we continue on in our series because what we believe about Jesus really really matters it, it is vitally vitally important you know it could Jesus be just a really special man that came and lived uh, maybe he was Uh, just a number of things. Who who knows? I know that there's probably maybe two groups in here. There's those of you who know Jesus, and then there's those of you that, that know about Jesus. And I want to talk to kind of both of you this morning, and I want God's Word to really speak to both of us. For those of you who know Jesus, I know there's probably a wide variety of you in those categories. Maybe you've known Jesus for 40, 50 years. Maybe you've known him for 40 or 50 days. I don't know, and all different levels there, but, but I, I want you to, to really understand this morning the importance of knowing who Jesus is and then what that really means for us as we live our daily lives. And then for those of you who, who may just know about Jesus, maybe you don't go to church, maybe you're, you're just here this morning because it's Christmas season and, and a friend invited you or whatever, maybe you just know about him. I want to really want to encourage you to listen as we talk about this man and, and talk about, about who he is um, and then I think you'll see that you'll be faced with a decision, faced with a decision to either accept him for who he is or to reject him. And my prayer would be that, that you would, would accept Jesus for who he is, and we're going to talk about that this morning. As you see on the screen there, we, we're going to continue on in our sermon series that we started last week, titled, He Will Be Called. And we're looking at the uh, passage in the book of Isaiah, uh, one of the prophecies given in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Let's read that together to get us started says this for to us a child is born to us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called wonderful counselor mighty god everlasting father prince of peace so today we're going to talk about this title of jesus mighty god mighty god now this is this is a pretty huge statement it's hard to hard to really overstate this for someone to be called this a, a child to be born at the beginning of the verse, a son to be given. They're calling him mighty God. This is a huge thing. This could, for someone to be called this could be be blasphemy, of course, if it's it's not true. Uh, For Jesus to be called mighty God, this really speaks directly to his divine nature. His divine nature. Now, um, for those of you uh, hoping for me to unpack the Trinity and, and help you wrap your brain completely around that this morning, I'm sorry, I'm not gonna be able to do that. I'm gonna come up short. But I do think there's a couple of important things we need to understand as we talk about Jesus being God, God being Jesus, and this whole idea of, of the Godhead. Okay, so the Bible is very clear in how, what it teaches. Even though it may not use the word Trinity specifically, it definitely teaches this doctrine in three specific things. Um, it is this. God is three persons. That is one true truth that we know. Each person is fully God. And number three, there is one God. All right, simple enough? All right, I'm glad, glad that it could enlighten all of you. You know, so, so our little finite brains, we all have a hard time wrapping, wrapping ourselves around that concept. But it doesn't mean that it's not true. Um, you know, if we, could, if we can understand everything about the mind of God, about exactly how God is, who, exactly everything, we would be Him. And, and so we, there is some faith involved, but, but we see clearly. We do know some things. We know enough to, to really stand firm. On this doctrine and on this belief, and so I want us to kind of have this as a frame of reference as we talk about Jesus as we talk about God um, through, through the next few minutes um, you know this this verse that we just read, Isaiah nine it's one of the clearest prophecies, the clearest proofs of the divinity of Jesus um, It's a highly debated ver- uh, verse, and, and you know you could you could read for days and days and months and months about different people's opinions on, on on the different things. A lot of different cults, different religions will say different things about. Okay, well, it says mighty God. It doesn't say Almighty God. So maybe he's talking about a lesser God. He's not really the God. And, and so it, you can you can just get bogged down in a lot of those things. But but I want I do want to kind of camp out for just a minute on on this term mighty God. And and Charles Spurgeon who is. Um, a preacher, pastor uh, um, in years past, he, he, I think, helps us I- explain, explain a little bit about what this term mighty God is, that is used in this verse really means. He, he says this, says the term here used for God is the Hebrew word, Hebrew word El, which uh, as he sees it, it signifies strength. And perhaps a literal translation of that mighty God would mean the strong one the, or the strong God. And then added to that is this other word that is an adjective in the Hebrew that, that means mightiness. It has this meaning of mightiness, so that's how we get mighty God. And really what this, this is saying, with these two words combined, um, they express the omnipotence of Christ combined with his deity. So the, the all-powerfulness of Christ combined with his being God. And, and like I said earlier, that there's really just a lot of power behind those words and a lot of richness that... that um, we'll probably only scratch the surface of this morning. Um, you know, I think it's a little bit ironic too when we think of Mighty God. When we think of Jesus, especially this time of year, we you know we see the picture up here. The, we think of a baby in a manger, and, and the, thinking of a baby in a manger and Mighty God those just don't really kind of coexist in our minds, do they? Or or you think of Jesus as a man on a cross, bloodied, bruised, beaten, and dying on a cross. That, that's a Mighty God. You know, it's, it's like only God could come up with this, only, only God could come up with this. And I think it's uh, important for us to, to understand uh, some of the, the truths, um, some of the difference, differences in, in this child that was born. Um, he was going to be something totally different. He, he was from God, and he was God. And, and I think it's important for us to, to know why Jesus is God for, for a couple of different reasons, but, but really, this is one of the hills that we die on as, as believers, you know, there's, there's a lot of things that are kind of peripheral gray areas that, that we can kind of skirt around a little bit and not be totally for sure. But Jesus being God is one of those hills that we just have to die on. And, and when, when other people, um, other religions or somebody that say, oh, you know, Jesus, he, he's a great guy, you know, he's cool, he, he's awesome. But, but he's not, if he's not God, what they're basically accusing us of is idol worship, Right? Because we worship Jesus. We worship Jesus as Christians. And if, we're, if Jesus isn't God, then we're worshiping something other than God, someone other than God, and we're committing idol worship, which, which is not good. Not good. Thankfully, we don't have to worry about that. And as, as you see, we'll, we'll talk about that. Um, and, and one other thing I mentioned before we go through our three points this morning, um, you know, as we talk about the Trinity, there's, like I said, a lot of different ideas out there about, about who God is, how, how does the Trinity work, and how do we explain this in, in our little little minds and our brains. Um, how many of you have read the book The Shack? Has anybody heard of that? So qu- quite a few of you. It's coming out um, as a major motion picture um, here in a few months, uh, written by William Paul Young. And I haven't read it, I'll admit, but I've read a lot about it. And it came out, Quite a few years, I think 2007 or 2008, and um, it's a very spiritual book, um, a, v- a very, very spiritual book, and uh, it's basically about a, about a man who who's, uh, whose daughter passes away um, in a tragedy, and it, the whole book is really wrestling with this idea of how can a how can a loving God uh, let bad things happen? That whole age-old question, and it kind of the the whole book is really a dialogue of of this father uh, with the persons of the Trinity that are each represented. And I just want to caution you. I'm not, going to, I'm not saying you can't go see the movie or do anything like that, but, but I want us to, to have kind of our, our awareness levels really high as we, as we read things like that and as we, we see things, because these things are, you know, they're in Christian bookstores, and they're things that, that a lot of people are, are accepting as truth, and when we don't have our spiritual discernment radar on. We, we need to be careful. So just just as a word of caution, I, I thought it was just uh, appropriate to bring up as I've been seeing some of the previews out there on TV and in the movies and that sort of thing. So, so be careful uh, if you go see that movie to not, to not accept everything as truth. Always make sure it lines up with what the Word of God says as far as who God is, uh, what he is like, who Jesus is, and those sorts of things. All right, enough said there. All right, in Jesus' role as mighty God, let's look at, let's look at these three characteristics of, of who he is and, and really what our response should be. All right, the first one is this. Jesus has the power to save, therefore we should believe in him. You know, when we think about Jesus' power, I don't know if you've heard of this story. There, there was this occasion when Satan was arguing with Jesus as to who, ha- who had the greater power. Uh, Satan said, I, I can do anything you can do, only better. And Jesus replied, well, okay, go ahead, prove it. Go ahead and try to, try to make a man. Satan a handful and began to mold and shape it into a man. With that, Jesus slapped his hand and said, You make your own dirt. So, so uh, I, I see some of you, like, you have your spiritual discernment. You're like, That's not in the Bible. I don't see that. I don't remember that being in the Bible. I, that was a test to make sure you're discerning. That wasn't in the Bible. It was, but, but I think it probably could happen. You know, it could, it could have happened. Because there's really no comparison between the power of Jesus and the power of Satan. Right, There is there, there's, there's no comparison, and, and Jesus is our mighty God. He possesses ultimate power, ultimate power that I think is most clearly shown in his power over the grave, his power over death. You know, Through his victory that he won on the cross, through his own sacrificial death, that, that power to save us from the, from the end, from the demise that we all deserve, um, Jesus has that power. Um, we look at Zephaniah 3.17, um, the, the song we often sing, I don't know if we've sang it in a while, but uh, by Hillsong, Mighty to Save, that, that's, the song is based off of uh, the, some of the truths in this verse. It says this, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. Now, while this isn't specifically talking about the coming Messiah or, or Jesus, we do see here an example of God's power being mighty to save his people. And we look at Acts 4, verses 11 and 12, we see this. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. powerful verse there that that speaks of of Jesus' ability to save us. And, And he just doesn't only have the power to save, but he is the only one who has the power to save you think of john fourteen six, which talks about um that, that no one comes to the father except through jesus that he is the way the truth and the life and i think it's important for us in the context of understanding jesus's life uh, of why why being god is necessary again you know if, if christ isn't god or he isn't the son of god then his death in some ways in a lot of ways was was rightly deserved if he really wasn't god than then all the accusers the the jewish leaders of that day that accused him of blasphemy um, they would have been right they would have been right and his they would have been right to crucify him for for saying the things that he said he would have been guilty of blasphemy you know if christ isn't the son of god the the mighty god the, then our preaching is in vain it's important to us as the resurrection you know our, our faith is is built upon, upon this truth. As Pastor Michael said earlier, we kind of, these things go hand in hand. It's not just all about the manger. It's not just all about the empty tomb. It's all of these things. It's about, it's about Jesus. Um, so, so if Jesus has this power to save, um, how, do we, how do we gain access to that power? How do we, you know, do we just become saved by, by knowing him or knowing about him? Like we, we just read a verse. Well, I'm glad you asked. I'm glad you asked. And let's look at what the Bible says about that in Romans 10, verses 9 and 10, all right? says this, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with a heart one believes and is justified, and with a mouth one confesses and is saved. So pretty clear here. You know, as for those of you who are in that camp, of you know, you know about Jesus, you've heard, of, heard him. Um, th- this is probably the most clear uh, instructions and example that is given in scripture of, of what you must do to become saved. Uh, and I, w- I would encourage you to do that today. You, there's, we, we've got a place, a checkbox in the back of your connection card if you have questions about that. Um, we'd love to talk with you. If you want to uh, come see one of us after the service, um, don't wait. The, 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 the day for, to allow Jesus' power to save, to receive that, um, it could be today for you. and I, I believe today is, as the Bible says, the day of salvation. So not only does Jesus have this, this amazing power to save as our mighty God, but he also has authority to rule Jesus has authority to rule therefore we should obey him you know we we often have have we, we talk a lot about authority in our house um, and I don't even have teenagers yet so I, I don't even really know I thought that was kids were supposed to not have those issues till they're teenagers but who knows ages seven five and three and and we have to over and over again repeat and remind who's in charge all right, who makes the rules around here? When you when we tell you to do something and you don't want to do it, who who plays the trump card there? You know, like who who wins? Um, and and I my middle child, my five year old Josiah, he, he sometimes tries to you know outsmart the question a little bit. He's already getting a little sass. Um, and his not an he Adeline, yeah, she's 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 our she's our angel child. Don't tell Josiah that. But um, he, you know I say who's in charge, and he'll go God, and I'm like okay. And then I have to have a conversation about, okay, well, God, he's delegated authority to mom and dad, and then he doesn't really like that answer, but, but we try to, you know, obviously I don't have ultimate authority, I have to in some ways agree with him when he, when he comes back with that, but but Jesus uh, does have ultimate authority. And when we, I want to look at the, the Great Commission, a, a verse that we talk about a lot here. It somehow kind of like finds its way into every sermon, I think, almost. Uh, but, but we normally start with verse 19 in Matthew chapter 28, and we start with, go therefore and make disciples. But the verse before that, I think, really sets up the, this command uh, and really uh, helps us understand in an, even a better way the importance of it. Uh, so let's look at Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. It starts like this. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So we see at the beginning of that passage, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. So with that God-given and God-possessing authority that Jesus has, um, how should we respond to, to a command? The command he gives, just following that. I think it's pretty obvious, right? With obedience. With obedience. It almost goes without saying, but um, it, it is uh, easier said than done. Um, we're, but in a sense, when we read that and really think about it, we're foolish not to to follow his command, foolish not to follow his authority. Uh, authority does get kind of a bad rap in our culture today. You know, I mean, people tend to look down and try to... Um, resist authority on a lot of different levels. But, but authority is actually kind of how we were designed to, to, to live. We were created for authority and submission and, and a kind of a proper hierarchy uh, of, uh, of authority. Uh, when used properly, authority is a beneficial and a beautiful thing. And, and I think um, I, I, we can be rest assured that, that God, as the authority on authority, um, he, he's, he's going to use authority in the right way and in the proper context. So, so we, uh, you know, our response to Jesus' authority as mighty God is to simply, should be, to simply obey. Uh, another another example of Christ's authority uh, that he has uh, been given and that he has is in John 5, 27. This verse says, And he has given him authority, this is talking about God giving Jesus authority, authority to ex- execute judgment because he is the son of man. So we see here, even in, even in the role of, in a sense, judge, um, the father, God the father, has given God the son this authority to, to carry out final judgment against every uh, human being. So I think this, this kind of begs the question, as we think about Jesus as God um, and as authority in our life, um, what areas of our life are we not submitting to his authority? What, what areas of life uh, is Jesus really not Lord over? Uh, I, I would say, if, for those of you who are Christians in this room, a lot of us w- would claim to worship Jesus as Lord, um, but even by definition, Jesus can't just be Lord over the, the areas of our life that we kind of want him to, the, the clean areas, maybe the nice shiny ones that we, we feel good about, um, but Jesus is Lord over everything. And uh, C.S. Lewis, uh, some of you may have heard this quote before in his book, Mere Christianity. He says this about Jesus and who he is and what our response should be. He says this, A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or he would be the devil of hell. You must take your choice. Either this was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. So I want to ask you, you know, the, what, what's your posture towards Jesus? What, what's your consistent posture towards Jesus? Um, I, I think, you know, that, that whole idea of he's either a Lord, lunatic, liar, uh, kind of that idea that, that C.S. Lewis is getting at is, is really important for us to be reminded about because I think even for those of us who uh, claim to be Christians and and know Jesus and have a relationship with him, um, I think there's a lot of times in our lives where we, we fail to treat him as our Lord, as our final authority in life. And so I want to challenge you to, to not just um, think of Jesus as uh, your friend, although he may be that. He's not just your BFF, um, he, but he's your God. He's your God, and, and he um, demands... Uh, respect and submission to his authority. I, and I don't know what maybe your next step is and maybe your next step of obedience. Uh, maybe God's asking you to do something. Maybe, maybe it's, you know, to to take that initial step of faith, um, to take that, uh, cross that line of faith and, and believe uh, in what Jesus has done for you on the cross. Uh, maybe it's to, to become baptized, to be baptized, or to join a community group here at Fellowship of Grace and kind of take that next level of, of spiritual growth and and in community Uh, maybe it's to invite one of your neighbors to the christmas eve service we've been talking about maybe that's a a step that you feel like okay as i as i think about what god wants me to do next um maybe that's it whatever it could be Um, whatever it could be i want you to really think about that even if you want to write it down on that point um, so you remember or so your next door neighbor sees you and can hold you accountable Uh, whatever whatever it could be find some way to to really take your next step in recognizing Jesus as the authority, um, in the authority position that he holds and should hold in your life. Last point is this, that Jesus is deserving of worship, therefore we should sacrifice for him. All right, as mighty God, Jesus is deserving of, of all of our worship. You know, we've seen through even just these few verses that we've looked at, a pretty good case for Jesus ultimate power, his ultimate authority uh, that should kind of lead us right into um, based on those alone his, the deserving of ultimate worship that Jesus uh, deserves uh, I, I think one example in scripture that I want to look at briefly is is maybe an unlikely one um, uh, another guy that he kind of gets a bad rap, doubting thomas doubting Thomas is um, you know one of, one of jesus 's disciples who uh, was a little skeptical after the resurrection of Jesus. When Jesus appeared to his disciples, he, he really didn't believe it was Jesus at first. And let, let's look at what happens here uh, in, this, in these few verses um, in John chapter 20 and see what, where uh, that led. Uh, Mr. Doubting Thomas says this, uh, Then he, talking about Jesus, said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen yet have believed. So we see here um, that while at first Thomas was very skeptical, once he was able to see and touch and feel, um, what was his response? He said, my Lord and my God. And there's a lot even in those, those words that he said. Uh, This this is one of the clearest New Testament um, kind of passages that talks and points to the deity of Christ, those words that that Thomas called Jesus. Uh, He recognized Jesus for who he really was. And and from what we know, going forward from this point, Thomas uh, preached the gospel and and, uh, the surrounding region for the rest of his life, and and ultimately died the death of a martyr uh, from what we know in church history. Uh, so that this encounter changed Thomas, he, he he recognized that Jesus was deserving of his worship, and he was not only willing to sacrifice his all, but but he ended up actually sacrificing his life and his all for Jesus. Um, a great example for us to to maybe think about and, and follow, and maybe one that you don't often think about uh, copying what doubting Thomas uh, did. Um, in Philippians, I want to read these couple verses there they uh, speak to this idea of ultimate worship that Jesus deserves. starts out like this, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, and in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Um, you know, that, that's going to be a great day when when we all, um, the whole the whole world, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, will, will bow before Jesus' his name. Um, but, but we don't have to wait for that day, thankfully. Uh, we, can, we can bow today, um, and, but one day everyone will recognize, we all will recognize that Jesus is worthy of, of our worship, uh, of our ultimate, ultimate worship. Um, so what should our, our worship look like as we think about our response. Uh, you know, we talk about okay, if He's deserving of our worship, what, how do we sacrifice? You know, we don't really think in terms a lot of sacrifice as they did back in the Old Testament, uh, as they would offer sacrifices uh, to God. Um, how do we sacrifice for Jesus today? How do we, in a sense, practically bend our knees in worship? Um, I want to read Romans twelve one to you. It says this. I. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Um, so a lot in here. Um, but uh, this idea, this concept of us as a living sacrifice, I, I think it's it's really a, a good thing uh, for us to, to explore a little bit. Uh, you know, I think I've heard many pastors say in the past, you know, the one... One kind of bad thing about being a living sacrifice is that that sometimes we can crawl off the altar, and oftentimes we we do, um, you know. But but I think the idea behind sacrifice is, you know, when you sacrifice something, something has to die, something has to be put to death. And when we think about being a living sacrifice, I think it's just living a lifestyle of continually dying to ourselves, continually dying to ourselves. I, I think. You know, specifically around this time of year around, around the time of Christmas the, the think about the opportunities that we have I think we have a lot maybe even more so now than at other times of the year to, to really die to ourselves to, to put others before ourselves to to uh, put God before um, our own desires maybe it's to to give more to maybe to minister to um, those around you that are in need uh, to maybe to share the love of, of Jesus with Maybe some of your family members who who frankly sometimes aren't so lo- uh, kind of unlovable most of the time, um, but to show them the love of Jesus, um, I, I think there's a lot of ways that we can uh, die to ourselves and really uh, just um, sacrifice uh, for Christ uh, we, we don't uh, in a, here in America have to have to really sacrifice a lot uh, for for Jesus um, um, Compared to a lot of the places in the world where they, they really have to give up everything if they want to worship, and so I want us to th- be thinking about that this time of year. I I hope that you will find a way, um, you know, you can maybe talk about in your community groups some practical ways that you know, so how do, how do we uh, as followers of Christ, how how do we uh, become better living sacrifices? Because Jesus, we, we, we recognize, okay, Jesus is God. He is our mighty God. He's deserving of, of all of our worship. How do we become better living sacrifices? What are some things that we can put to death in our own life um, through the power of Jesus and his power to save us, his power to redeem us? Um, just a lot, of, a lot of things there. And, you know, ultimately, our response uh, of worship and sacrifice should be with our entire lives. I mean, he, he's given us so much, uh, and really requires us to, to just worship him, and rightfully so, rightfully so. So I'd just be thinking about that, um, you know, as we come across uh, and enter into the, the Christmas holidays here within the next couple of weeks. I, I want to just challenge you in that and um, ask that you uh, maybe give this, give this some thought, give this some extra thought as you think about Jesus and, and who he is, who, who is Jesus to you? you. You may have a pretty good idea, uh, maybe you, you think about this a lot. Or maybe you don't. And I would challenge you just to explore, okay, if this is who Jesus is, um, what what does that mean for me? What what does that mean? How should I live differently? How should I act differently towards others? And and then do it. Um, Put things into place where you can, um, you know, really have other people hold you accountable and and really get serious and intentional about your growth and and your walk with Christ. Uh, Let's pray together. Father God, we uh, do uh, come to you this morning and grateful for uh, what you've done for us. We thank you that um, Jesus is, uh, as he is called, mighty God. We we thank you uh, that he is God and that he has all the power um, that that you have as God our Father and that um, through... Through his death on the cross, uh, he showed that he had the power to save. And God, and through that, uh, through his resurrection, uh, God, we see that that he has authority to rule. And God, through through the way he lived his life, and through um, just the 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 transformations that we can see in people, God, we we acknowledge that Jesus is, is worthy and deserving of all of our worship. So God, help us to in ways um, that maybe we haven't thought of yet to, to better communicate to you our, our love for you and, and our worship for you. And God, we, we love you. Help that to, to not just be words from our mouths or, or thoughts in our head, God, but, but really feelings of our hearts, our actions uh, with our bodies. God, we, we love you, and it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.